I don't, I don't know, it doesn't dictate, my mood doesn't really dictate the, like, the emotional content of the music, right. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it might be coincidental, um, but yeah, it's, it's more of the, the feeling and the, the inspiration mm-hmm. when yeah. you sit down and not really trying to reflect always your your mood uh-huh. or i don't think it should reflect that right <laughs> yeah necessarily i well especially with like this with this particular instrument and this kind of hello and welcome to podular modcast my name is tim held this week we are going to be doing something a little bit different um we are actually going to be looking back and celebrating the memory of norm chambers Seattle electronic musician who uh, passed away on October 30th after a long struggle with a rare form of sinus cancer. He was only 50 and he is survived by his wife, Kayoko. My condolences go out to Kayoko and the rest of the, the Chambers family. I didn't know Norm super well. I got to play a show with Norm before the podcast even started and then I got the, the, uh, the distinct pleasure to go over to, to Norm's studio and, and record an episode with him, which aired November 2018. And if you've been listening to this show long enough, then you've heard me talk about what I uh, fondly call the, the big three. Um, Norm was one of the big three electronic musicians that I found when I was you know first getting into electronic music and the Seattle scene. And he was very, very, very kind to me. Uh, you know, I, I kind of glommed on to, to him and, and Andy Reichel, a.k.a. Jelsol, and uh, Chloe Harris, a.k.a. Rika, who uh, ran Further Records with her husband, Mark. So, yeah, not, it, needless to say, Norm was a, a huge, huge uh, inspiration to me and was one of my earlier experiences of meeting somebody who I really looked up to, who I thought was doing something really, really amazing and who didn't just brush me off. You know, he didn't know who I was. I'd made one album. I was just some, you know, nerdy, nerdy dude, you know, saying, hey, can I play shows with you and and this and that. And yeah, we got to play a show and uh, yeah, we we chatted online here and there and he was always just really, really uh, kind and and cool to me. Uh, But because I didn't know him super well, I didn't think that I could do a proper uh, memorial episode or um, you know really really do his his memory justice on my own so I reached out to some of his close friends uh, who are mutual friends in the scene and uh, I even had a chat with Old Coast Ian that I'll play here in a little bit I have some things that people have written that I'm gonna read uh, for them and then um, we have some people who have sent in some some things that they recorded themselves So I invite you, dear listener, to come on this journey and help us remember Norm. So going back to this idea of the big three, the uh, the three musicians or artists that I kind of looked up to and glommed onto and who were super nice to me when I first you know started getting embedded in the the scene here in Seattle. Um, I actually found out about all three of them through the same journalist, and that's Dave Siegel from Seattle's The Stranger. Dave is probably the the biggest champion of 
our music scene here in Seattle, especially the electronic scene. And I feel like a lot of us who make music here in Seattle, we owe other people finding out about it and listening to it. Uh, we owe that to Dave. I look at him kind of like the same way that I do those, those, uh, those record labels that you just trust them as curators. So even if you don't know the artist of their latest release, you trust that it's going to be good. That's how I feel about Dave's uh, album reviews and his recommendations for shows and everything. So I asked Dave if he wanted to uh, write anything for this episode, and, uh, and he did. So I'm going to read that in a moment. I'm also going to put a link in the show description uh, for a really lovely write-up that Dave did in The Stranger. Norm Chambers was the gentle giant of Seattle's underground scene, a humble, friendly, and slyly humorous presence whose work was loved by the synth music cognoscenti worldwide. The late great electronic musician was a scientist and poet behind his analog synths and effects. Over nearly 15 years, and under the aliases Panabright, Jürgen Mueller, and Spiral Index, as well as his own name, Chambers built a huge catalog of ambient, experimental music that was all hits and no duds. In 2011, I wrote in The Stranger that Chambers' beatless symphonies of fibrillating, smeared whirls and drones make you feel like the star of a weird nature documentary or a sci-fi blockbuster film from 1977. And that description still holds. Even in his last few cancer-stricken years while enduring excruciating pain, Norm was creating extraordinary music at a furious pace, as if to bestow as many gems to future generations as he could muster. He was a mensch till the end, still obtaining and enthusiastically listening to music in his last weeks, while maintaining the grace and warmth that he showed towards friends and colleagues in healthier times. Besides being a world-class musician, Chambers was a serious record collector, especially in library music, cosmish synth, post-rock, and ECM-centric jazz veins. He was an important member of the obscenely obscure library music DJ night that I run, always bringing excellent, super rare platters to our attention. Let's hope that some enterprising record company eventually collects all of Chambers' recordings from the many labels on which he released and reissues them in a box set, or in some form whatever it takes to bring his transcendent and pacific sounds to potential new fans. In the meantime, everyone with an internet connection can bask in the beautiful bounty of his Bandcamp page. Rest in power, Norm Chambers. Thank you so much, Dave, for sending that. I very much appreciate it. And as I mentioned before I read what Dave uh, sent me, I will put a, a link in the show description to his, his lovely write-up. Um, and from there, you can go back and read everything that Dave has written about Norm. I, I strongly suggest, just as Dave closed uh, his, his, his remarks there, is for, for people to really take advantage of just how much uh, Norm Chambers music there is in the world. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm having a jam and it sounds good as is and it captures the the feeling that i'm interested in uh -huh. and it doesn't need any embellishment or anything then i'll go with that and i've done that quite a bit and then um if you know otherwise i tend to have um like parts in mind you know where mm -hmm. you think of parts yeah and i like to kind of 
do those individually. Yeah, yeah. And so that way it can be cleaner, it can be more concise, um, you know, makes editing easier. For I mean, sure. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not a purist with all live or whatever, you know. Yeah. If it works, if the process works in the, at that given time, and then that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now I'm going to play something that my friend Emily recorded herself and sent in about Norm. My name is Emily Pottist, and I am a musician. I'm also a writer. I write about music as well as many other things. And I lived in Seattle for a really long time, from around uh, from 2003 until 2019, uh, when David Golightly and I, my partner, moved to the Bay Area. And I, um, I guess I, I met Norm Chambers really early in that time. I met Norm before I met David even. I met him before uh, Norm had ever put out any records or done any music that I knew of. Um, I met him through mutual friends and he was this very nice, quiet, unassuming guy that um, later when I found out about his music, I was just like overwhelmed by the first of all the like the level of um of i guess professionalism or just um how it f- felt very completely artistically realized uh, maybe he was working in secret a long time that i didn't know about but just all of a sudden when he started started putting out like tapes and things around 2010 2011 uh, i was just like this is this is amazing and it really corresponded to uh the beginning of when uh, David and I started making music together as both as Midday Vale and our project Heron Space Museum. And it's that latter project, which was just our duo that um, was mostly sort of based on, you know, synthesizers and keyboard instruments and voice, that we ended up playing a lot of shows with Norm. Um, we played, um, some highlights were, we played at the uh, Pacific Science Center Laser Dome and a la- live laser artist um, sort of uh, designed lasers to go with our sets. Um, we played with Norm at Chapel Performance Space with beautiful visuals by Leo Mayberry. Um, so over time, I would we would see Norm play a lot. We also just played together a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously Norm's work was like so incredible and inspiring, but I also found him to be a really inspiring person just in terms of how he related to other people. He was always so kind and effusive about um, if he liked what you were doing, just being like telling you in a way that was uh, made you feel really cool. Um, I know there's like one track, Heron Space Museum track on SoundCloud, where there's a little tag that says, Norm Chambers said, wow, incredible. And I swear that's like the best review you could ever get from anyone is to have Norm Chambers go, yeah, <laughs> I'm into this. Because Norm's taste in music was exquisite. He had, you know, he has an amazing record collection. He would DJ, just a really, really careful listener. And um, everything that he does, I think, reflects that. He makes instruments that can be kind of cold and impersonal electronic instruments sound very human and organic and embodied and um, this morning we were listening to the Jürgen Mueller record and it you know just the way he's using arpeggiators and things it sounds like rivulets of water it sounds like um, like a force of nature is kind of coming through him and 
Uh, you know, I think if you, even if you didn't know Norm personally, you can really get to know him through that music because of the way that it just really embodies a personality that is attentive, patient, listening, like always listening very closely, and then able to transform you know, the raw materials of musical instruments and sound waves into something with that much emotion and individuality and heart. Are those just like you like have different names for different sounds that you do or? Yeah, I, I just like uh, the concept of having just different aliases uh -huh. because it's all, you know, in some part, a way to distance yourself, the person from what you're doing, you uh -huh. know, as with like the names, like the project names or the aliases, you know, it's, it's kind of fun just to, you know, create this separate thing, mm -hmm. you know, it's all me, but it might have a specific kind of angle to it that's okay. different than the other stuff. Like the stuff with my full name is kind of more, I find that I try to keep it more conventional or, you know, like more kind of like with like hooks or whatever okay I, I like that kind of thing too I want to bring you back to 2011 and I'm gonna go here to pitchforks website July 1st 2011 this is a review of the song chasing submarines just a little blurb it says chasing submarines is a silken synth vignette from Signs of the Sea, an album German oceanographer and self-taught musician Jürgen Müller wrote more than 30 years ago while working on a boat in the North Sea. Though Müller pressed only 100 copies for his friends and family at this time, Digitalis, a label, is reissuing it now. A few months later, August 2011, Pitchfork puts Signs of the Sea by Jürgen Müller uh, gives it an 8.4 score, says it's the best new reissue of the year. Um, and I just love that the opening sentence of this is, uh, is a little ironic. I'm not sure if the author was in on it, but I do not believe they were. A skeptic might cast aspersions on the tale behind Jürgen Mueller's Science of the Sea. Well, yeah, and rightly so, because there was no Jürgen Mueller, nor made it in like 2010 or 11. I'm not sure if he finished it in 10, but it was released in 11. Um, it's just one of my favorite stories of all time. The fact that, and it wasn't in a mean, I think he just, I, I honestly, I don't know. I can't even speak to why, why he did this maybe prank. I don't know if he would have viewed it as a prank. Um, I'm sure people out there have better answers, but I, I kind of like the mystery of it. And uh, I'm going to let Ian, old co-host Ian, share a little story about uh, about this because he just found out after Norm had passed that Norm was Jürgen Mueller which I think is hilarious um, so yeah take it away Ian I got to know Norm through a little different means than most people he wasn't really playing in the electronic scene up here that I knew of. This is 2010 or 11. He ran a blog called Lunar Atrium where he ripped old New Age and synth albums. Amazing collection. Maybe the best uh, collection 
of that sort of thing I've seen on the internet. I was throwing a night for old synth music. The whole like pretense was before MIDI, we wanted wanted to go into, you know, experimental territory, blah, blah, blah. And that blog was the best thing I could find online for it. And I downloaded everything on it. Now I reached out to the guy and said, this is amazing. Thank you. And then I found out he was in Seattle. And that was Norm. And he also had a, a theme on the blog that was specifically aquatic themed synth albums. And I believe that's where I first got the Jürgen Mueller album. And it was before it was officially released. So I just downloaded this off this guy's blog, invited him out to play records, didn't even know he made music, and was talking about some of the albums that I really enjoyed. So I was talking with Norm about these albums, and I mentioned to him I was really into the Jürgen Mueller album. And he was like, oh yeah, I really like that. And that was that, and just never heard anything about it. It was not long after that that I started to see his name everywhere, and I started to, you know, download his albums. I saw him live again and again. We chatted from time to time, just when we saw each other out, and always humble, quiet, not guarded, just quiet, uh, unassuming, friendly guy. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't try and be like, oh, let me talk to you about all this crazy stuff. Let me talk to you about the rare music. No, he was just, he was just there, present, friendly, non-pretentious. I did not know that um, the Jürgen Mueller album was Norm. It makes perfect sense going back and listening to it, but I had the whole story in my head. I didn't go and do any research. And, you know, I, I dipped out of the scene. Maybe if I was around more, I would have heard word of it. But the whole time, I've, I've had it on my computer for the last, you know, dozen years. And, yeah, never knew it was Norm. <laughs> yeah, really wonderful energy from Norm. I'll miss Norm a lot because of his humor. He was a very funny person. Very dry and cynical, but also very warm and chuckly. He's a good person. And I think that's what I'll miss the most. His stories about traffic are hilarious and something I will remember forever. The many stories we had about traffic. I'm gonna miss him a lot. He's a really good person more so than just being a creative soul. He was a very, very good, good person. And I really hope the best for everyone and his family in Kyoko. Much love. Thank you so much, Chloe. That was one of the big three. Chloe Harris, a.k.a. Rika, sharing, uh, sharing some kind words about Norm. And then to uh, round off the... Uh, the big three that I've talked about. Uh, I also reached out to Andy Jelsol, who said, uh, I, I personally didn't really know Norm, but he left one hell of an impressive discography. I'll say that. So, uh, yeah, even, even people who didn't know him, he, he had a, he had a way of affecting them in, in some way or another. But, uh, Cindy from Patchworks, Cindy Reichel, Andy's wife and my dear friend. She did know Norm a little better, and she says, It is with great sadness that I learned of the recent passing of our dear friend Norm Chambers. 
Norm was a pillar of the Northwest electronic music community. His prolific musical output was matched only by his relentless support of his peers in the Seattle music scene. Norm was a huge supporter of both my own musical endeavors and of Patchworks from day one. I fondly remember working with him on an event we organized back in 2017 where we realized a shared dream of bringing Norm's music to the Seattle Laser Dome. He was so excited to work with the laser artists there and his performance alongside Hair and Space Museum that night was legendary. Norm's influence and his music will live on as a legacy of his achievements and he will be greatly missed. So there's one more thing that I do want to read, but before I do that, I want to let everybody know that there is a Fundly page. I will link it in the show description uh, if you would like to donate and help uh, Norm, Norm's family with uh, medical bills and, and everything that comes with the loss of a loved one. You can also go to Norm's Bandcamp, which will be linked here, um, and buy his albums there, and that would also be uh, of some help to the family financially. So the final thing that I want to read comes from uh, Pete Prezzano, and he is the one that was running uh, Norm's GoFundMe and this Fundly page the whole time. Um, so he's he's been putting a lot of work in for, for Norm's family. So, you know, much love and respect out to Pete. And here is what Pete had to say. Norm's family and friends have been deeply moved at the many fond remembrances and praise of him coming in from around the globe after his passing. Norm was always so humble and self-effacing, he would have been genuinely surprised by all of this and found it a real trip. None of us are surprised, though. We saw his greatness more clearly than he ever could. Norm is the perfect kind of person to have had on Podular Modcast. Whether it was the arcane world of modular synthesis or rare records, Norm always had a deep thirst for knowledge, but also a strong desire to share. He was the polar opposite of the quote-unquote scene snob and approached everything with an inherent kindness, lightness, and generosity of spirit. His openness and relaxed nature really informed his artwork. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, please join us in celebrating Norm's life at his tribute show at the Chapel Performance Space in Seattle on November 12th. All the best, Pete. I want to thank everybody who sent in something for me to read or to play to help um, fully round out this 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 tribute to Norm. Um, if if you if this is your first time hearing of Norm, well then, congratulations! A whole new world of amazing music just opened up. Um, please check out all the links in the show description to see how you can help out Norm's family and go to the show that I just mentioned. Um, and 
please, please dive into his expansive discography. So much good music in there, and it really covers all the, just all the gamuts. Can you, is, it, is there gamuts? The gamut of electronic music as far as feel and mood goes. Now I'm going to play for you the, uh, the episode of Podular Modcast that, that Norm was on in 2018, and I don't know why I, I want to talk about this or mention this, but it, it, I don't know, it, it's, I'm still processing this, but it, it, I feel something very big about this aspect of I'm not putting it into words very well, but like I said, I'm still processing it. But the day we did this episode that you're about to listen to, afterwards we were out in his yard talking and he had mentioned he had to cancel a flight or a trip because he couldn't fly because he was having some sinus issues that he thought were maybe allergy related and that he was going to go in to a specialist and and find out. And that turned out to be the... um, you know the nasal cancer that he had and i don't know why that for some reason in retrospect is i i mean obviously why you know it was him not knowing at the time and i don't know there's it's just that's heavy to me and uh i don't know why i felt like i had to mention it but i i did and uh i'm gonna stop rambling now we're gonna get into this chat with norm Sorry about the audio quality. It's one of my early episodes, but uh, you'll get over it. Thank you so much for listening. And please, please go check out the links in the show description to help out in any way that you can. We're going to miss you, Norm. I just like to hit record and start chatting. So uh, thank you for having me over in your, uh, in your studio. Yeah, thanks for coming. So you just released. I, I, I want to talk about your new release. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went. I went to get the cassette, and it's already gone. And it's been out for not too long. Well, it's um, only a hundred copies. Yeah. So it's uh, one of those things. But it was just this small label in Japan, um, Muzan Editions. Um, they they put it out and about a month ago, and they sent me some copies and I kind of have pre-sold uh-huh. those and so I'm waiting for another box oh cool <laughs> to come so I'll have a few more but yeah nice <laughs> they did a great job though yeah yeah it, um is this the first release with this label uh yeah for me sure okay um because you've released I was going through your band camp and you have like dozens and dozens of releases yeah. since uh like 2012 um yeah earlier. Um, uh 2009 is the first thing okay for this kind of project um yeah and a lot of them are digital only uh-huh you know just, just sometimes it's nice to get some stuff just get it out there you know even if just to get it off your chest yeah clear your hard drive yeah because <laughs> um, i have some things that i like that i never know what to do with uh-huh. and so sometimes i end up with enough of those to kind of have something yeah hopefully thematically it works but you know well, speaking of thematically, um, I was listening to uh, Idea Region, which is your new one, um, and it's, uh, it's very aquatic sounding. Like it hmm. seems, it has like a a nice like a lot of like bubbly dripping oh, type, yeah, it, type stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's um, yeah, that's sort of like um, a couple of things like sampled 
thumb piano uh-huh. that I have that I you know ran through the morphogene. Uh-huh. Um, I love that sound. I love the you know the wet kind of percussive sounds, whether it's actual percussion or mallet percussion, uh-huh. you know, or just sounds that you know you can speed up and kind of tweak around, mm-hmm. you know, and get that effect. Um, but yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's sort of a thing I kind of like, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, well, one one thing I noticed about it because I've listened to quite a few of your um, your stuff. I have a few of your cassettes. I've got is it Seed, S E C E D. Oh yeah, yeah, Seed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of more of the the synth pop. Yeah. Stuff you know, which is kind of like, you know, I like to do those things kind of separate because my normal stuff's kind of more a little more. I don't know. I don't. Uh, just a little more a little more exploratory maybe yeah um you know but i also have a mind for like synth pop or whatever like yeah i was surprised when i heard that for the first time like that opening track it kind of has like that little like drum that drum beat coming in um i don't know what that that drum machine sounds really familiar yeah it's Um, a cr78 okay yeah yeah. roland i have it yeah in the house it's great okay uh, i've used it on a lot of stuff but also sparingly because it's kind of a it's an old preset well you can program it Uh the programmer on mine is broken so (laughs) um it's still great you can do a lot with it yeah um but so i bring that up and 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 then with the new one and just kind of your whole catalog you 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 definitely there's a lot of variation in your sound but it all sounds like you Mm -hmm. and before we got set up and started recording you were just saying how you like just got uh you just sold some stuff and you're, and you're switching stuff out and i've been i've been curious since i got into modular and like i see pictures of your setup and everything like how how often are you switching stuff out like i I've, i guess i've always pictured like you like having the setup that you have and just i don't i don't know why i've pictured that with your stuff but i was like he wow. seems like he has his thing and he doesn't do the whole like get rid of and get new stuff and get no, rid of new I, stuff. I don't like I have um I think this kind of modular stuff is kind of easier to sell. It's so compact and small and yeah. it's different, you know, like I still have like hardware since like Roland Juno and Kumar yeah. Performer and Casio. They're all kind of <laughs> hidden around the house. But um, you know, I used to kind of have this studio decked out with everything but I, I don't really work well when I just have everything sitting around because it's kind of distracting and overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, yeah, I mean, I still have equipment and I might, when I'm working on something, like take things out separately, sort of, so I could just focus uh-huh. and uh-huh. then try to combine everything in a way, like at the end, you know, so sort of tie it all together Okay. in so- a way. So I don't really like not use something you know, I use, you know, this is the focus lately because, you know, it's the mobility and the the infinite uh, possibilities mm-hmm. for with the modular. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I still love the other stuff, too. Yeah. So on, on stuff like uh, like Idea Region, is it is it all modular or do you? It's 90% this thing right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like I was saying earlier, like field recordings are uh-huh things that i've recorded with the digital the zoom or whatever right and uh you know either manipulated straight you know or just uh represented straight forward or through like the morphogene or something to kind of give it a, a more rhythmic angle okay. or something you know okay 
Did you have like an uh, an idea sonically or thematically growing into this album, or or do you work that way with albums? Or yeah, sure. I mean, sometimes that is the first thing uh-huh. that I think of is is an idea or concept, although it can not really sound like that really, yeah. but it's more of a a a point to start from uh-huh. to maybe gain ideas with a, images or sounds or whatever and then yeah from that point it may go down a different path you know um but yeah i mean it's like with the new one it's sort of like two to me like two different kind of things sort of butting up against each other two Uh sounds like there's a very digital sound in some regards like kind of colder yeah digital like kind of um i guess ambience stuff and then more like of the analog like uh like rhythmic uh-huh. kind of stuff so it's kind of weird in a way but they they seem to kind of jam up next to each other and uh, in a weird way like yeah it kind of works i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it definitely it all sounds like the all the all the tracks sound like they belong together in a collection while being their own thing mm-hmm. you know um so so like when so when you're thinking about like uh, like conceptually about going into it it's it's more it's more like just kind of sonically kind of do you, do you think about like is it more like gear driven like when you're thinking about it or is it kind of more like how much how much of it is like a reflection of like just kind of your mood or what's been going on in your life or whatever um that doesn't really figure into it a lot it's usually a specific sound and a feeling um that i you know, might obsess over or just like, uh-huh. you know, and want to get out in a certain way, you know, certain tones, certain timbres that I like. Um, so in the gear, I mean, I mean, I go kind of go to this these days, you know, naturally. And so I um, kind of naturally start working from scratch on, on it, on mm-hmm. the modular. Um, yeah. And then it can go any direction like on the new one there's a track with um it's a vocoder uh-huh it's on a it's the only track that's i'm playing keyboard on actually uh-huh and i'm just set the microphone up it was recording the tv and <laughs> my hands tapping uh-huh is really sensitive and so it's sort of and then i recorded two two passings of that and then i sort of pit them like together uh-huh. simultaneously and so there's sort of like a conversation uh-huh. between the left and the right channel uh-huh. and so that's the only thing that's like played by hand mm-hmm. um but i think yeah everything else is is this essentially <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um so that actually is a perfect segue into something that i wanted to ask you um about your recording process is do you make a patch and then record it and and perform it a few times and that's the track or do you multi-track things oh i do both yeah i probably multi-track still quite a bit yeah um if if i'm having a jam and it sounds good as is and it captures the the feeling that i'm interested in Uh and it doesn't need any embellishment or anything then i'll go with that and i've done that quite a bit and then um if you know, otherwise I tend to have, um, like parts in mind, you know, where mm-hmm. you think of parts Yeah. and I like to kind of 
do those individually. Yeah, yeah. And so that way it can be cleaner, it can be more concise, um, you know, makes editing easier. For I mean, sure. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not a purist with all live or whatever, you know. Yeah. If it works, if the process works in the, at that given time and then that's fine with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's kind of i i just um i just worked on something recently where it was like the first time i tried to flesh out a song multi-track multiple passes with the modular setup mm -hmm. and it turned i mean it's it's it sounds like a song everything else i've recorded sounds like a patch that i was yeah. like this sounds cool and then i started recording it um but it, it's it's uh it's kind of hard to multi-track with with uh with modular but um i i don't know i, I think that's the direction i want to go um but i think you're right if, if you are grooving on something and it sounds good then yeah then yeah i just it. that's all i've ever how i've worked and instead of trying to complete a whole song or, or piece you know on this start to finish which is impossible for me yeah <laughs> um i just yeah i kind of work on it as i go and then piece it together okay you know and that and that to me, I think it affords you the ability to have more control, you know, mm -hmm. whether you're in editing or whatever. Um, because sometimes when I do a full patch recording with just one track, you know, invariably there's something really awful. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to go in and fix it or whatever. And then, you know, I have a, f a few that I've done that way and it's worked out great. Like, uh huh really good luck but normally it's just too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so when you're multi-tracking then like when you're multi-tracking a song with modular how much uh like like post-production stuff are you doing like in the box with plugins and whatnot is it do you use much effects or is um it... no i i sorry <laughs> mostly just eq yeah um some effects some yeah. stereo like spatialization stuff um effects are usually done you know with the hardware mm -hmm. um there i might add a couple of things if i'm lacking something um but it's all very you know no frills kind of just very dry i don't have a bunch of plugins yeah <laughs> that's so before i got into modular like almost everything was in the box because i had just shitty gear and so i did most of my effects and everything in there but since going to modular and also switching from logic to cubase which i'm not a big fan of yeah um i i just don't have a handle on it so i pretty much just use compression and, and eq you yeah know, when i'm recording and it kind of i don't know it's kind of like changed my whole approach to just like writing and, and composing and recording because i I have to make it sound good before like usually like before i would just hit play on like a drum machine yeah and then go in and loop it and fuck around with it for hours yeah, with yeah. effects and stuff but yeah so it's definitely like reshaping how i'm approaching it um so with you doing it like with with your approach to recording i imagine uh it's it's not really applicable to how you approach like a live set. So do you, do you have like two totally different mindsets yes, with that? Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> that's that actually that's great news because everybody that I've asked that question to, like the last two two people I've talked to, are like, yeah, it's pretty much the same. And I'm just like, it's it's not that way. I, I, that surprises me that that. that yeah, because I when it, when it's live, it's a one-off thing essentially. Mm -hmm. um, it's just too much to try to recreate something and. But then, you know, like if I'm using the modular, the the patch, I'll try to set up quite a few 
you know, routes you can take. Uh-huh. Sort of enough to, you know, present something and then draw it back and then present something else. Uh-huh. And then maybe tie them all together, you know. But I also usually have other other things present like samplers and, and keyboards. Right. You know, right. it's like, you know, I'm playing less keyboards than I have ever lately, uh-huh. but I still like to to do that. Yeah, I'm having a hard time getting like a set that I want to like subject people to for more than 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> like just on the modular. But like, yeah. if I bring like my guitar along or some drum machines or like my Nord or something, I feel like I can definitely get some more life out of it. But yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, there's sort of a comfort thing. I don't know if that's good or bad for me, you know, something that you fall back on that's familiar. Um, you know, and I, it's some, in some ways I've tried to get away from that. Uh huh. You know, which also helps slim down my equipment that I bring anywhere. You know, uh-huh. it's very basic. Um, but at the same time, I kind of, I'll look around and see, you know, to fill in like a passage or whatever with something like on a keyboard. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Sometimes I bring it and I don't use it because yeah, yeah. I'm too busy like <laughs> trying to, you know, run this thing <laughs> and if i have a break you know i can kind of mm, yeah. go over here and then i'll forget what that's doing so yeah <laughs> so you so do you like basically like kind of piece your system into a couple different maybe uh voices and and effects like kind of almost break it into chunks to to get a set out of it then yeah like um i kind of it's kind of like making a song i mean you know i have like my three or four oscillators you know, a bass line and a uh-huh. couple of, like, melodic, like, counterpoint kind of parts and then, like, a white noise for, like, some rhythmic or percussive element uh-huh. if that's needed or whatever. But, and then, you know, more of a drone, like, um, kind of like what's happening now yeah. behind the, <laughs> yeah. you kind of hear it. Um, more of a drone, like a evolving kind of bed. It sounds kind of polyphonic, but... Um, you know that so there's like a couple of elements that can kind of intertwine or you can have individually okay so i like you know i like that that yeah gives you some material to work with yeah yeah i remember we we actually played a show together in god it was like five years ago i think oh yeah it was at the end of a tour i did and uh it was all different yeah different equipment yeah yeah i remember i remember just being Totally. I, I mean, I'd seen pictures of modular and everything. I wasn't really quite sure what it was. And just watching watching you play and hearing what you did with that, it was kind of like, I mean, I had my APC-40, and I was like, oh, shit, I got it. No, well, <laughs> it, no it was like, um, yeah, so that it's changed a lot since then because mm-hmm. I had a sampler and then, like, a couple of smaller things to make, you know, try to make it easy uh-huh. for that t- little tour I'd done. This was the summer of... 2015 i think yeah and then it was like right after that um so yeah it was you know kind of it was actually some songs that were like you know that i was performing okay like over and over it's like older material that was sort of easy to recall and so i would you know play like four kind of tunes you know whereas i typically do one long kind of Mm -hmm. evolving thing with different parts or whatever like breaks or that's almost unheard of like actually like playing the same piece you know like multiple times or recalling something you've recorded in modular like i've 
any patch I've ever made, like that's that's. Oh yeah, I don't do that in modular. <laughs> okay. This is before with the older equipment. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. This. this well, yeah. did you have modular? I thought you had some modular stuff. I've been using modular about six years now. But okay. I didn't bring it out. Okay. Until about I don't know four years ago. Okay. I don't know it, why I in just, my head I I saw. Patch well, I had like a Korg of MS twenty. That's probably what. Okay, that's what and, it was. And um, yeah, that was about that and like a little. MIDI keyboard with uh -huh. another synth. Okay, I thought. Oh, okay. So you've been you've been doing modular for six years. All right. Yeah, about six years. Okay. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I still have the first module that the Rubicon, the first one. <laughs> nice. I had to get it repaired once, but yeah. <laughs> so, I guess that that kind of brings me to like, wh where did you start musically? Like, in what age? I'd like to get that that journey to modular. Um, oh yeah, I uh, didn't. My family there's no, there's really no musical background in my family at uh -huh. all whatsoever. I mean, you know, here and there maybe a little bit, but I just always felt strong a strong attraction to music, and so I started taking guitar lessons when I was 13, and got into that, and you know, stuck with the guitar for like about 20 years, yeah. you know, just playing and practicing and really into it. And I was in a few bands with some friends. And um, and then in the early 90s, mid-90s, I got into synthesizers. Yeah. Like the old old ones, because um, I was listening to stuff at the time. I was kind of getting out of like early 90s indie rock and kind of in, more into like Stereolab bands who were incorporating like synths uh -huh. in interesting ways. And so that sort of really got me hooked on uh, equipment like that. And so where I was living at the time was Utah, oh, okay. Salt Lake City, and it was hard to find that stuff. <laughs> I bet. <And> so actually, <laughs> Probably still is. <laughs> yeah, I actually did find some you know old synthesizers and kind of got lucky. And then my friend had a really crazy rare synth called a, a Steiner Parker Synthicon. Uh-huh which were made in Utah, actually, in the mid-70s. And so we played with that and just started making crazy sounds. And then I kind of, it kind of took over for me in, yeah. you know, in a more in the interesting way. So um, I played in a few bands, and then I moved here to Seattle in 2003. Okay. And then I started to do music again around 2008. Oh, okay. Like for myself uh -huh. or whatever, and just to kind of get refamiliarized, you know, with my equipment because it had been a while. Uh huh. Um, yeah, and then started getting the synths and buying more equipment, and then, um, you know, I had some friends who had like the synth synthesizer dot com. Yeah, yeah. Ones and like so the, the big, the big like yeah, five, the five year stuff. Yeah, and I could check that stuff out, and I was gonna go that route, and then I just you know kind of went this route instead just for the flexibility yeah you know and so yeah it, it took a while to, to get a decent little system together yeah. for sure you know? <laughs> it's expensive it's hard yeah. to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i was telling you before we started recording i just i had to sell like all my like i, I just have a couple choice pedals and like one drum machine left but i yeah. used to i saw a picture from like a year and a half ago like facebook reminds you or whatever and the picture of my studio in my house was just like wall-to-wall -wall gear and i was like oh shit i forgot about that and i forgot yeah. about that and now it's all just like 
for for uh, for tip top happy ending kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I I would find it hard to. I mean, you get you definitely get you know tired of a certain framework mm-hmm. um, equipment or process, but you know I I've sold some things, but I I would have a hard time committing to. You know, to say I can't use this anymore. You know, even though I feel that way sometimes, yeah, because yeah. invariably I'll go back to something and use it again and love it. Uh huh. So yeah. It may be a while. Um, <laughs> you know, my Juno has been sitting in my back room for like three years now. Yeah. You know, on the shelf, <laughs> and I can't get rid of it. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. But I don't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's how it was with my Volca Beats. It's been mm-hmm. gathering dust, and I actually brought it out today, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna use it for a show i'm playing pretty soon nice um yeah there was something about just getting bit by the the euro rack bug at first it was just like that's all it was just tunnel vision like, yeah that's all yeah. i wanted yeah, I, I joke that i started this show so my wife wouldn't have to talk to me about modular anymore she's like you gotta you gotta talk to somebody else about this totally. shit. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah my wife isn't so hot about it either yeah <laughs> which is understandable yeah yeah it's always I, I i feel bad sometimes we go out to like shows and then there'll be like four of us for like 45 minutes just talking about gear and I, sometimes i'll just look over and she'll just you know kind of give me this look like you fucking serious right now? Yeah, Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we joke. Uh, she she makes this joke that there's uh, like a couple of um, just like synth guys in the scene. Uh, like she's friends with their their wives, and they joke about having like the 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 synth widows club or something. Oh yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's all in, it's all in good fun. You retire to the to the cigar room and <laughs> yeah. talk about gear. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, so did so did when you found modular? Was it just kind of like, was it just like mind mind exploding, like expanding or whatever? Like sure, yeah. sure. Um, I mean, honestly, this kind of stuff is not very intuitive for me. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, it took a while to kind of get my head around everything, you know, I, because yeah. I used to be kind of a lazy knob twiddler. <laughs> yeah. But you know, knowing the the basics, you know, is pretty simple enough and i think you know once you do that you can figure out anything that's that's funny you say that like that it's, it was hard for you to get your head your, like head wrapped around it because like you you have like a really really good following people really like the stuff that you make like I've, how many how many labels have released your stuff <laughs> oh i don't know I mean, a, a lot but you know i mean a lot of you know smaller yeah labels and whatnot but yeah it's been great um yeah, I mean, I'm not a very technical-minded person by right. nature. Uh-huh. You know, um, if I pursue something, you know, I have to put a little effort into it. Just yeah, because I'm not. It's not that natural to me, uh-huh. um, which is kind of funny to me because it's like, why do I do this to myself? You know? <laughs> but now, I mean, it's it's fine now, you know. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because I was a guitar guy. Yeah, same essentially here. Yeah. from you know the nineties, late eighties actually, when I kind of twiddling around. But and so, yeah. Did you start like you started listening to kind of like bands that incorporated synth? But was it you? Did you kind of just find modular and then and then start kind of making more ambient, atmospheric stuff, or did you find that music and start 
liking it and then want to create stuff like that? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely a product of my influences. Yeah. You know, but I've, I've always hoped that I can put things together in a, my own way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And not be overly derivative or overly, um, I don't know, the word, you know, where you just, like a pastiche where you just reproduce something, like, fully, mm-hmm. like, to the point where it's absurd. Like right. Like, something that you <laughs> like that's old, that has a very specific sound. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel that way, you know, something moves me and you like when you're starting out you kind of emulate stuff right right more but um yeah i don't know it yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question though but um well i I will say that your stuff um i feel like just in the world of modular music it's pretty easy to there's a lot of it and there's a i mean there's a lot of it that sounds like the next thing down the line. So I, mm. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a tool that's really useful and, and expansive as expansive as anything can get, but it's hard to find your own voice on it. And sure. I think you, you, you nailed that. Like, I think oh, you thanks. have that. And that's, uh, I don't know. I think, I think that's, that's a rare thing. It's like, you, I hear your stuff and I'm, I, I think I could pick it out of a lineup, you know? Oh, that's cool. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a certain, sounds that are you know predominant with modular it seems there's like the hard experimental stuff you know all of this which i like Uh very much of like different ends of the spectrum you know from the more just conceptual um sound design stuff to you know really crazy concrete music concrete uh kind of insanity to Uh to the more pristine things you know which are great too but you know, I, I kind of find myself in the middle of these yeah. these areas because I like so many things and so many different um, approaches, you know, that I think inform what I do. Um, maybe some more than others, but, you know, just sort of a, a filter for... Yeah. For things that you acquire, you know, over the years mentally <laughs> and it comes out however it comes out. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, um, so is it, what are there any are there any pieces of gear like you mentioned the was it the Rubicon uh, the the yeah the yeah. oscillator mm-hmm. is there is there are there any like key pieces of gear that are just absolutely necessary to your setup or are you kind of like just kind of experimenting as you go and then do they have life do they have shelf lives usually or um, some some I some I find more useful than others for me that have more longevity mm-hmm. but then i look at look at it overall and i think everything is uh replaceable and to some <laughs> extent you know because yeah. of the nature of this it's so piece pieced together that you know i like some oscillators i like you know like low pass gate you know mm-hmm. um the delay module i love um, but I'm not necessarily like I don't find necessarily any one thing to be totally vital. Uh huh. Okay. It's more of the whole picture, you know. Yeah. For yeah. For me. 
I think yeah, I'm 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 starting to get that way because like like I said, I don't know if I was recording when I was talking about this, but just really trying to downsize because mm -hmm. I, I I played on somebody else's smaller system and actually had a lot of fun. Yeah, and I was starting to really like just this morning take stuff out and I was kind of lining it up like what what can I not live without and the pile that I was like I will never get rid of is is smaller than I thought it would. It was smaller than it would have been yesterday, to mm -hmm. be honest. Like, mm -hmm. but after kind of having that experience, like, I kind of started thinking about it a little differently. So, I don't know. It's it's definitely uh, that was kind of a, a a pointless tangent. But no, no. I <laughs> I, I mean I yeah. We, we were talking earlier. I recently sold quite a lot, and I don't feel an ounce of remorse. You know, mm -hmm. because I didn't. You don't really need a lot of stuff. Unless you have the means and the room, the physical space, yeah. and the, or you thinking must have all these things, but I do think you'd do better, more focused work with less. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, you know, this is quite a, a bit, I guess, for a thing, but it's perfect. Yeah. You know, the, the the 9U, or the 12, was this? This is 12U. Sorry. Yeah, 12U104, probably. That's, yeah, I think so that's as big as I'd four, want to go. Four rows, yeah. Um, you know, and even now, I don't use everything necessarily yeah. all the time, you know. So I do swap, swap some things out. Um, some things are vital, like, you know, I have a couple of filters, usually two. Um, I, sometimes I have up to seven oscillators. <laughs> just for, you know, it's not necessary, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why I do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have options. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, like, I see you got the STO and, like, the plats. So I feel like those those would be, like, totally totally awesome, each one, but, like, totally different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the, to, they're different animals. I love the plats. I feel like it's one of those modules that's kind of cheating in a way. Dude, somebody just said that last because night. Because <laughs> it's, I only use a couple of sounds that that's kind of why i got it you know plus the polyphony the harm harmonizing uh -huh. you know which is great but um you know i love organ sounds and it has great organ tone um with lots of cv so you can get really great evolving kind of sounds and so honestly that's all i would really use it for i don't do a lot of the you know a lot of it's sort of too preset for me yeah yeah it's great but um, I, I do like, you know, in terms of oscillators, to be honest, I like, I'm a sine wave guy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like the sine waves, the, whether it's muted, you know, for a bass line or like a percussive element, I tend to use sine waves the uh -huh. most. Yeah. So I don't have a, I have some with like square waves or whatever, where they're more sharp, but mm -hmm. I kind of like that muted Yeah, I almost tone. use stuff like that, like square, square stuff almost for more percussive yeah, things, but yeah, I, I think that's why I like the STO, especially with that like that wave shape yeah, output. That's great. You yeah. can like dial that into a C, like a sign, but then kind of like bring it in and almost like that with a filter. It's that's pretty fun. Yeah, um, yeah, I love the STO. I was thinking about just getting like three. I know I've, I've thought that yeah, because I kind of like having a uniform quality. Because now I have all different oscillators. Yeah, <laughs> I have an old Pittsburgh one I got used early on and. You know, it's it's great for bass, mm -hmm. bass lines or whatever, and I kind of keep it around for that. Nice. I'm not really, you know, I mean, other than that, that's like all I have out there is I think, but. 
Yeah, well, so many different brands have so many different things to offer. Like, I feel like, so it, like it seems like Mutable and Make Noise are like the the two big big ones, and they're kind of occupy totally different spaces. Yeah, and yeah. then like, I don't know, like I just I'm still trying to wrap my head around maths, but it's it's in just about everything I do. Yeah, that, that's one of the I have that's one of the first things I got in the second third. Yeah, and you know I don't. I use it quite a bit, but not. It's not central. Yeah. Maybe I don't know why. I mean, it's it can do anything. I just, you know, like, I don't know. I I definitely use it, but more ex, extraneously. Not really. Uh-huh. The focus. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a habit. I don't. Know. Well, yeah. Speaking of habit, that's something I was thinking about too. Like how yesterday, I'd have a different list of modules that I couldn't get rid of than today. Like. That was something I, w- I was starting to look at some of these, and I was like, "Well, I could never get rid of that." But I'm like, "But how often do you use that in the same way? Like, mm-hmm. like so if you, if you if you like pick out ten of my patches in a month, like how similar are they going to sound? So like, I think some things are easy to lean on, and yeah. so yeah, I'm I'm kind of I feel like it's just like an ever evolving thing. Like it'll never stop. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna you ask know what I mean? you. It's yeah. just I think maybe you reach a point like I did where like a few months ago where I'm comfortable with, with what I have, uh-huh. you know, and it's kind of a relief. Uh-huh. <laughs> it works for me. Um, I've been selling some things and it feels great. It's less clutter, less something to stare at <laughs> and wonder what to do with, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some things I'll, you'd like to swap out maybe, but, um, you know, I've kind of found a niche, you know, that sort of works for me mm-hmm. in a sense with, with regard to this this unit itself um, which is different than other like synthesizer hard you know uh-huh. fixed synthesizers like the odyssey that i just got right which is great i love it but it's you know it's very basic well, it can do a lot but it's very controlled and everything's you know has its own logic right um, right and it sounds amazing yeah i've been thinking about getting some sort of you know standalone i have a nord electro t- or lead two or something like mm-hmm. that um, I don't know. Maybe I haven't spent enough time with it, but I, w- I've, I've, I don't know. It's just like you said, you'll never, you never fully get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it's it'll, it's like that always. I mean, as long as you have, yeah, like as long as they keep making things, you know, it's always something. Yeah. That some some will want to aspire to 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 get or what you know. Mm-hmm. It's like an endless chase. Yeah. But I think it's good that the sit back from that because i think you know there's there's the manufacturer end of it like we have to make item make things so because we have to make money and stay uh-huh. in business and right. then there's the creative part where well you can't get every single new thing yeah that comes out you know so it's a weird dichotomy of the two approaches like i can't think like a manufacturer like oh man i gotta get you know yeah yeah like we're making all these things new and not so new or whatever or you know part two or whatever and and and, you know as a consumer and musician you know it's sort of it's kind of stressful and you know i don't think it's necessary that to feel that way you know it's sort of destructive too (laughs) yeah and 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 meanwhile you're not creating anything exactly yeah obsessing over that's a good reminder this comes up every so often on this and i like to just say to the listener like Remember, we get these to make music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes for me, the best 
time to get into doing that is when you're completely out of that obsessive mindset. That's yeah, that's a good way to look at it. When you're not lusting after a particular piece of gear or pieces of gear, that's when you should go to it and start. Sure, I think you can appreciate what you have and then maybe discover something new. Mm -hmm. You know, or or try a new a new approach to something old and familiar. Maybe yeah, yeah. Because I tend to honestly go back to similar things with my equipment, (laughs) and so yeah, I mean, occasionally, you know, I'll shake it up, but I definitely have sort of a, a routine that I gravitate toward. I'm not really proud of it, but I kind of <laughs> just do that. Yeah. No, I, th- well, I mean, what else can you do? Like, I mean, you could, you could maybe say, I'm going to, I'm going to like re recreate my whole process, but then like, I don't know. I, I feel like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's, I think it's easy to feel like maybe like, Oh, I'm being lazy or something and I'm, I'm not shaking it up enough, but like, it's it's ultimately like self-expression, so yeah. you're just really expressing like what's going yeah, on. I don't think you need to be revolutionary with, yeah. with every <laughs> movement, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> some I think some people feel that way, uh-huh. you know, and and I think sometimes that I don't know that might say more about a lack of something and a compensating with something else. Yeah, yeah, totally. Whether it's all conceptual and no heart or whatever, you know, no mm-hmm. anything appealing other than the concept of of something and i mean i don't know yeah yeah (laughs) i know yeah i think i I think i know what you're saying like for for me when i'm creating like i'm I'm kind of similar to what what you were talking about earlier with like i kind of just like oh this this sounds cool what can Mm -hmm. i do with this sound it's not so much like you know Oh, I've been bummed out lately, so I'm gonna make a really sad thing. You know, sure. like I I could be in the best mood ever, and then like you know, 15 minutes later, have like a really sad sound yeah, patch, yeah, only yeah. because it sounded like really cool to me yeah, at the time. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't dictate my mood. Doesn't really dictate the like the emotional content of the music. Right. You know what I mean, like yeah. it might be coincidental, um, but yeah, it's it's more of the the feeling and the the inspiration mm-hmm. when yeah. you sit down and not really trying to reflect always your your mood uh-huh. or i don't think it should reflect that right yeah <laughs> necessarily i well especially with like this with this particular instrument and this kind of music i mean i mean i don't know i th- i think obviously it it can go the other way but just for me personally yeah it's it's more of just i want to make something that if people put on headphones and listen to it they're going to be like Oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the sounds cool. Like, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what that is. Like, I, I, my older stuff before I got into modular was all like very crunchy and noisy and and you know dark sounding. And people mm. were like, man, you make really dark stuff. Like, <laughs> and are you like really bummed? Like, well, I just thought it sounded cool. I don't. Yeah. I didn't really realize it sounded that dark until yeah, I don't, like. I don't put <laughs> any. When people say that, you know, because I like a lot of sad sounding music. Uh huh. Um, or at least dark, but I don't, you know, consider myself that way. And I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think it, it, yeah, like I was saying earlier, it's, it has to be an extension mm-hmm. of who you are, how you feel, or, you know, if, and if it sounds sad, it's just, you know, or melancholy. It's just maybe those n- types of notes you like, the scale you like, you know, can yeah. reflect the, all that stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Like for me, I like minor 
yeah. scales and mm -hmm. stuff. And so it can be that way kind of sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, shit. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to try patching some some stuff up? Sure. <laughs> Sweet. Um, I have some envelopes here. Actually, I did. I had. I had one more question from you for you about. So, when labels approach you, do you then start working on something, or do you just kind of always have something in in your back pocket? And oh. they say, "Hey, what 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 do you got going on?" Oh, and then send them this, or do they say, "Hey, we're looking for something," and then you. And then you start to make it. Uh, both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll get inspired by something, you know, like a meeting or talking with somebody, mm -hmm. and then get to work on something. Or I'll maybe I'll be working on something simultaneously, and and that, that'll apply, you know. And so it's both. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a lot of archival stuff. I've been kind of working through it. So not so much anymore, at least not anything I think is worthwhile. Yeah. But <laughs> that's why I do some of the digital compilations, you know, just to, as a kind of a journal, mm -hmm. just to get it out there. Is that what the, you, you, I think you released something a few years ago, like a yellow cover, with like black lines on it. I don't remember what it's called, but I, I have it. Well, I have a series, a digital series called Frequency Bath, uh -huh. volumes one through five, I think now. And okay. it's just started, starts way back from 2009. Okay. And they sort of consecutively cover maybe two to three to four years each you know along okay. the way and so the n recent one i guess i put out like nine months ago is stuff within the last three years and it's a little different it's a little more material that's kind of more like upbeat mm -hmm. aggressive in a way right right um but which i think you know is just another part of my creative psyche or whatever yeah you know just uh, you go that down that route you know for a while and that's fine or you go over here but i don't think you know everything has to always be one specific vision right yeah i i'm, I'm doing that right now I've, I've got two little things that i've just called modular musings it's like stuff that i recorded that i'm either going to delete i need to free up space on the hard drive but i think it's cool i would like to put it out so mm -hmm. yeah i think but I also really would like to like make a focused album as well. But I think it's it's cool to just release release that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I think some things are great for that. You know, if you have an album with a label that you're working on, you know, and yeah, I mean, you might start over and just totally from the ground up, just be totally obsessive about every little detail uh -huh. and make it perfect. You know, other times they take whatever you have. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh, I remember. I remember what I was gonna say. I had two more, two more things. <laughs> One was, um, so you've been you've released stuff as Norm Chambers mm. lately, but you have Panabright, and then is it Jurgen Mueller? Is yeah. That, so, is that are those just like you like have different names for different sounds that you do, or? Yeah, I, I just like uh, the concept of having just different aliases uh -huh. because it's all, you know, in some part a way to distance yourself the person from what you're doing you uh -huh. know, as with like the names like the project names or the aliases you know it's it's kind of fun just to you know create this separate thing mm -hmm. you know it's all me but it might have a specific kind of angle to it that's okay. different than the other stuff like the stuff with my full name is kind of more I find that I try to keep it more conventional or you know like more 
kind of like with like hooks or whatever. Because okay. I, I like that kind of thing too, you uh -huh. know. And I did a soundtrack to this documentary called Graphic Means, which was like use that kind of material, sort of. It was kind of a retro-focused film, like uh -huh. about history of graphic design. You know, back from the '50s and through the '70s and '80s and whatnot. Uh -huh. So the music kind of, kind of like reflected that. Okay. And so. That was, you know, more conventional, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. And music. so it's like Panabrite, maybe more of the atmospheric? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, I don't use that name anymore. Oh, okay. I'm kind of going by just my name now. Okay. I've, well, and <laughs> the N initial chambers, you know, kind of the... Uh-huh. That's sort of the Panabrite um, trajectory. Then That's kind of what I'm using now. Okay. I mean, I can't really explain why. I just don't... Sometimes I just don't want to use it. Yeah, yeah. A I, word anymore, like a name. Uh-huh. Um, and the Jurgen thing was sort of, I've done it twice, mm -hmm. and that was it. That's sort of, you know, just a fun thing that... Yeah. <laughs> fun project that came up a couple times, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up the soundtrack, because that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Did, did they approach you, and then, uh, and then, like, what was the process like? Um, well, someone who I kind of knew vaguely through music, um, not that well, but um, just contacted me one day and said their friend was making this film and they thought my music would work well. With it. Uh -huh. So I met with the director and it made sense. You know, I saw like a couple of rough cuts of the film and then the trailer. So I did music for the trailer, you know, first as a sort of intro kind of thing. That was really fun. Um, it worked pretty well. Yeah, that's and so. I made a bunch of new. So instead of scoring to the film, which I didn't do, okay, I was kind of hoping I could, but yeah, that was gonna be my question because it was edited kind of on the fly, the way they were doing it, and so I would just send pieces over that okay. might, may or may not have fit what they were working on. Okay, and so eventually there was enough uh, material to kind of go with what they were showing on the film, and so I ended up using some previously released stuff as well as new okay newer material okay yeah that's like that's something that i really want to get into is scoring i've done some short some short films for like the 48 hour film festival nice. just like a couple really small things but that's kind of like my my musical dream like sure like, yeah me too yeah. <laughs> i'd love to do it more yeah well that's cool um and that came out what like was that last year or it's the about year a before year, a year and a half ago okay yeah, cool the, the tape the cassette just kind of came out of the blue the director um she briar levitt is her name she uh, is also a professor in portland okay um art graphic design um but she decided to make a few tapes so she made like a run of 50 uh-huh you know when she screen printed or uh, handmade the covers herself you know because that's that's her thing her specialty okay and so yeah they're they turned out really well Nice. Yeah, and you can get that on your uh, your band camp, right? I'm at, they're actually gone. Well, <laughs> well, you can get them from her movie website. Oh, okay, cool. Com, cool. Yeah, there are only 50 of them, but okay. I mean, maybe more later. But the digital is on your... Yeah. And is is that panabright at ban, or dot bandcamp dot com? Yeah, or? yeah. Okay. Yeah, all my stuff's there. Okay, sweet. All right, well, let's, uh, let's draw some... Let's have some fun. Or maybe not. I don't know if some people... This is this is weird, definitely. Um, 
Oh, geez. So people send me words, and they like to show me how smart they are by sending me these words. Um, maybe do a different one. <laughs> Which one do you like better? I can't even say that second one. I like the first one. All right, so we'll do we'll do clumsy. <laughs> clumsy Leviathan. <laughs> That's kind of my thing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like awkward, deep, deep sea sounds. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'll pause this. That's actually my new handle. Mm-hmm. 